Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we are coming to you from the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, and not a bad place for basketball either, Iowa. Hey, if you value what we do, we could sure use your support. Visit the uh, donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or you're with a nonprofit, can, you know, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking to sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music, and congratulations for them being selected to perform at the Battle of the Iowa Irish Bands during the Iowa Irish Festival this coming August. So what do we have in store for you this week? Well, hey, it's Holy Week, and we're expecting a Holy Week performance in New York City starring... Donald J. Trump as Jesus Christ. Uh, that should be interesting. We're, we're going to talk about that later in the program. We'll also talk about how a Harvard professor, well, kind of got bought off, maybe, probably, by Phillips. And I've also got to weigh in on the huge ju uh, judicial election in Wisconsin. And related to that, a smaller but important judicial victory here in Iowa. Also, we've got to talk a little bit about the big hog spills that have happened recently and how Democrats could probably capitalize on that, but I wouldn't hold your breath. And for our farm and food segment, uh, Kathy Burns will join me. We're going to be hosting our April Garden Q&A session. But first, I would like to welcome to the program Dr. Joel Furman. Joel is a board-certified family physician who serves as director of research for the Nutritional Research Foundation. He's also an author of quite a few books and advocates for a plant-based diet. Joel, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Looking forward to our talk today. Yeah, thank you. I, I know you're, you've, you keep a busy schedule, so I really appreciate you carving out some time for us. Let's start with just an overview of what you see as the ideal diet. Well, I think we have this unprecedented opportunity in human history to win the war against cancer, heart attacks, strokes. In other words, the leading cause of death in America today is heart attacks and heart attacks and strokes, cardiovascular disease. And then most and secondly is cancer. And we're finding out that these are diseases of nutritional ignorance. And unfortunately, they're self-created by what we eat, mostly by what we're eating. Certainly pollution and other chemicals and other things play a role, but predominantly it's what we're eating that's causing this epidemic. And we have enough information to wipe it out. In the, and in the... to answer your question, we're a vegetable dependent animal. And like the other primates, our immune system doesn't function normally unless we're exposed to a large quantity of green vegetables, particularly. And the and I have a little acronym called GBOMBS, G-B-O-M-B-S, for people to highlight and remember those six foods that have the most scientific evidence to fight cancer. And to, of course, they also protect against dementia. And that stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. So I'm advocating that people have a salad every day and being the lunch being the most important meal of the day, have like a salad, a bowl of vegetable bean soup, mm -hmm. some fresh fruit for dessert. And if our country changed the lunch across America and had a giant salad with vegetables and beans and onion, <laughs> mushroom soup and some fruit, we could probably see these tragic deaths be dropped in half. So would you say your recommended diet is vegan, vegetarian, raw food, or something a little bit different, maybe a hybrid of those things? Yeah, you know, I call it nutritarian, nutritarian, because mm -hmm. I'm saying we want to eat foods that are rich in phytochemicals and micronutrients. And, okay. And so we want, and both processed foods and animal products don't contain phytochemicals and antioxidants, and they have a very low level of the 36 nutrients that um, that the government keeps track of. So we do a high nutrient, call it nutritarian. It doesn't have to be totally vegan. You could have, you know, it's plant, it's mostly plants, but you can have some animal products in small amounts. But you still have to overwhelmingly consume a large volume of plant matter 
to have the sufficient phytochemicals and antioxidants in your tissues. And which uh, which plant matters would you recommend? Oh, sorry, plant matters. Dairy, which which dairy and meat products would you recommend? Huh. Well, if a person is having animal products um, episodically, I, I'd probably recommend egg whites and fish, you know, and and smaller fish rather than the large predatory fish, and not farm raised fish, mm. as as a. And I do, of course, you know, um, you know, I'm concerned about um, children and infants not being breastfed long enough because what we eat in the first five years of life and, and feeding cow's milk to children, before, especially before 12 months of age, can set the stage for increased risk of breast cancer later on in life. And, and so there, we want children to be breastfed as long as they can, preferably 12 to 18 months even before they're switched on to other sources of liquids, you know. Now, I will tell you, my, my, my wife and I, our preferred diet is, uh, is loca- locavore, a locatarian. We, we pretty much eat what we grow, and that includes eggs. It includes uh, sometimes chicken. Uh, it includes also, you know, foods we get from local farmers who feed and raise their animals sustainably, organically. Uh, some lamb, a little pork, uh, not too much beef. Uh, and, you know, fish in Iowa, you know, fish in Iowa is not the... Not the greatest thing. I mean, we're as far from the ocean as you can get, and we also have really contaminated waters. But I do uh, certainly recognize the importance of fish in diet. But to me, the um, you know, I, I mean, I, it seems like yes, plant-based diet, but also if you if you are inclined, and if those products are local and organically raised, dairy and some meat is not a bad thing to include in the diet either. Well, I don't really, I don't really agree to that, agree with that because. It depends on what percent of your diet comes from animal products, because as the percent climbs over 10%, IGF-1 rises into cancer-promoting or more dangerous levels that age us faster. I mean, you're right that you could live relatively healthy to achieve compared to the average American, but if you want to push the envelope of human longevity and, and reach our uh, um, you know, permitted lifespan between 97 and 107 years old. If we, mm. want, if we want to really prevent cancer and wipe out heart disease, then it usually is necessary to reduce animal products and have more plant matter in the diet. We're seeing this in more than 2,000 studies. I wrote a book. My, I wrote 12 books, but my most recent book is called Eat to Life. Eat for Life. Eat for Life. And mm. I have more than 2,000 scientific references documenting the data and this, these studies that document that higher levels of animal products are linked to higher rates of cardiovascular death and cancer deaths, and the mechanisms involved, because more animal protein doesn't just rave, rave um, you know, hormones that promote cancer and raise, um, you know, cell proliferation with aging, but they also produce more pro-inflammatory substances based on the bacteria produced in the gut, like TMAO. So for people who like to eat animal products. I like them to use it as a condiment, a flavoring, and to make sure their diet is 90% plant material and not going over that 10% of calories from animal products. And uh, you know that's uh, that, that's a lot of that's a lot of um, plant-based products. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I I I I haven't analyzed what we my my wife and I would uh, how we'd qualify there, but I don't think we'd come in at 90% plants. We eat a lot of plants, but um, but I think we'd be uh, Short, shy of that goal, and yet we feel pretty darn healthy. But I, I think I, I think you're right, though, that that our our whole I, I assume you'd agree that our whole federal policy has been geared toward the wrong kind of dietary consumption, with with uh, with subsidies and incentives that in, that basically enable uh, bad food to be available at cheap prices. Absolutely, and there's a relationship between the consumption of fast food. And commercial baked goods like Italian bread, croissants, and bagels, with not only depression, but but inferior intellectual, scholastic achievement, and of course, um, you know, we're talking about a higher degree of mental illness, not just depression, but anger, violence, and so we're talking here that nutrition and food affects our personalities to a degree how calm and peaceful we are, whether we can think logically and clearly and lose our memory as we get older. So our, so our brain requires exposure to these antioxidants and phytochemicals as an animal that's designed to live a long time. You know, short-lived animals that die are, you know, 10, 15, 20 years don't require these bioflavonoid and, and phytochemical exposure to maintain brain mass. 
you know, with aging. And the other thing that makes a nutritarian diet very different from the way other Americans are eating is that most Americans get their fat intake from animal fats or oils. And us nutritarians get most of our fat intake from nuts and seeds. So I'd be eating flax seeds and pistachio nuts and walnuts and making a salad dressing, let's say, out of a, a garlicky tomato sauce with almonds and blood and um, black fig vinegar, let's say, or, or peel a navel orange and mix it with, you know, toasted sesame seeds and cashews and blood orange vinegar and making a dessert with um, an ice cream with frozen banana and macadamia nuts and real vanilla bean powder. So we're, we're, we're cognizant of the beneficial effects on longevity from eating whole plant fats as opposed to the oil extracted from that food. Like, it's not walnut oil, it's the whole walnut. Now, one, one, uh, one premise uh, on diet is that uh, the further north you go, the more you depend upon meat historically. I mean, when I say historically, I mean human history. Uh, I mean, the folks living up in the Arctic Circle almost eat exclusively you know, meat-based products. And as you get toward the equator, you've got people who can pretty much rely on you know, an entirely uh, fruit and vegetable diet, but is, is there is does that does that play into your um, your uh, your your analysis of diet at all? The the extremes in temperature and 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 uh, and how people in different parts of the world tend to historically rely on uh, on on their environment to obtain their diet. Not really, because when I said earlier that we have this unprecedented opportunity to live to be you know, 97 to 105 years old without cancer and heart disease. I'm saying that because we can get frozen wild blueberries in the wintertime. We could ship salad or, or romaine lettuce and arugula all over the United States and Alaska. That we have this opportunity to have exposure to, a, to beans and to nuts. And so we have this ability to expose ourselves to a more wider variety of healthy plant material than our ancestors had the opportunity to do so. So when you're stuck, you know, living 100 years ago or 200 years ago or more in, in Alaska or the Arctic, you had to eat mostly the foods available to you. You couldn't have that ability to live to 100 years old. You, but then the average age of death would be between 50 and 60. We have this opportunity today to, to live with such passion and enjoyment and not being fearful of disease. If you live, if you eat the diet most Americans eat, then you're just a time bomb, yeah. ready to get anything could happen to you. You're eating fast food, processed foods, too much animal products, too you know fried foods, every highly salted foods, sweeteners, sodas. You're just putting anything in your body, and you got to walk around in fear. And it's, it's inevitable because obviously most Americans by the age of sixty are on drugs for blood pressure and other problems, yeah. and they're inevitably going to have these tragedies develop. Yeah, those are all decent points. Uh, the uh, one one can one um, one conversation I hear a lot in the uh, local foods movement is the importance of balancing, just from an agricultural point of view, of balancing uh, your 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 plant your plant crops with animal uh, animal agriculture because the animals provide such a high nutrient value to the soil that regenerates the soil, much like in a, a natural ecosystem where you've got you know, on the prairie here in Iowa, buffalo, you know, roaming, fertilizing the soil as they go and dine on the grass. And so there's, uh, there's some concern that if you have, a, have a, an agriculture that's almost entirely based on plants, you negate the importance of animal, agri animal agriculture as an element of that sustainability. Well, you know, that, that might be true, but, uh, you know, as, we, as we're living today, I mean, I don't think that we can possibly feed the world with the amount of animal products humans eat without, at the same time, polluting it, removing too much natural, you know, oxygen-producing plants, mowing down trees, taking down the rainforest. You know, we were looking for a regenerative organic agriculture, and when I mean, you're using animal products for food, to be using them in ways, like you're saying, that are more, that are taking care of the land, and not, you know, running it, um, you know, just, just, you know, depleting it, let's say, right? So, when I, but, but so in order for that to happen, we've, the, you, the consumption of animal products has to be reduced significantly so that they can, so people can use animal products without damaging all the land and can use it more regeneratively. I, I do the same thing here in San Diego because I grow a lot of my own food. 
and I use the neighbors have horses, and I use the horse manure mixed with their kitchen scraps, with the weeds, mm-hmm. with debris and leaves, and I make with, of course, you know, um, you know, red, you know, worm composting, and then I use the worm composting for the vegetable garden, for mm. my fruit trees, and I'm trying to feed my guests who stay here mm. to lose weight and get healthy and feed my family, and with, with a lot of the foods we grow right on our own site. Very good. Really, and for yeah. some reason, there's a link between gardening and longevity, and it's not just from the healthfulness of what you're eating. It's also the fact that you're actually working with the soil, and you get some emotional satisfaction yeah. from eating foods you grew yourself. Yeah, you know, as you know, because you to- probably have that same feeling. Totally agree with that. Yes. Um, yeah. The, the one more question for you: uh, the uh, how do we convince our elected officials and society generally to move beyond this current system of subsidies? Again, the subsidized mostly the wrong thing and begin to support uh, producing the right kinds of food to make us healthy again? You know, I've been doing this for you know 40 years, and I've, I have seen movement in the right direction. I mean, change, and it's so, you know, obviously you, you're involved with seeing how politically diverse and all, everybody has their own interests, and they're all competing against each other for political influence, and we can't get anything done. And, you know, what I want to do is not the same thing as what the person, you know, across the street wants to do. So it's really difficult, but it has slowly moved in a better direction. Mm -hmm. And I think it has slowly moved in a better direction because of the accumulating evidence that can't be stuffed under the rug with regard to diets that are higher in plant matter, green vegetables and nuts and things like that, that are now showing um, dramatic abilities to extend lifespan. For example, just one example, most of the studies, like 10 different studies show that using regular use of nuts at least one ounce a day in the diet reduces heart cardiovascular deaths in adults by 40%. And that's Hmm. huge. That's huge. And there was a study came out last week that showed that um, maintaining you know, muscle mass in adulthood and, and quality of life has a lot to do with people eating nuts. And for, you know, and so we're talking here about so much data. And then gradually this data then starts to infiltrate the government and the scientific institutes. And it does mm-hmm. eventually reach its way back. But it takes, you know, years of fighting and haggling and yeah. people defending their viewpoints. And per- so it's, it's hard in this country. It's a good you know? point. I mean, the political process always, almost always takes a lot of time. Every once in a while, boom, there's this huge shift but yeah it takes time hey you'd be pleased to know that uh that my wife kathy and i in addition to supplementing the 50 percent of the food we raise ourselves on our little urban farm we gather about a thousand walnuts a year <laughs> from wow. from wild sources they're good exercise cracking them open but they're also an excellent source of as you said uh, um, oils and protein and whatnot Joe, do, do you know that in in, in early 1900s with world war one or world war two with, vict- with, with the government promoting victory gardens and people growing their own food, more than 50% of calories consumed by Americans were foods that they grow on their own home sites. Right. And, that was a, and that's an incredible, if we could move back towards that movement, that would in, in have such a dramatic effect on saving climate, saving people's health. And, and, and in other words, we have to have more, obviously, people blending up their lawns and putting in some fruit trees and vegetable gardens. You know? Right. Our motto is turn your yard into dinner. <laughs> yeah, that's, right, that's good. Hey, like, can Joe, I use that? You may. You may use that. Yes. Uh, Joel, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Dr. Joel uh, Furman. And uh, if you'd like to get uh, more information about what he's working on, Joel, where should we send people? Uh, drfurman.com, D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com. All right. Thanks again so much for joining us. Uh, folks, we've got to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with Mark Klipsham about Holy Week and the fascinating comparisons being made between Donald Trump and Jesus Christ. I kid you not. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. 
psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the program, folks. Ed Fallon with you here. Hey, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche here is more important than ever. So please support what we do and what community-owned stations do around the country. You can go to the Fallon Forum website, you know, donate, or even better, become a monthly sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open from Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Alrighty then, I would like to welcome to the program my friend Mark Clipsham. Mark, how you doing? Oh, I'm thinking of some non-controversial things to say to you. Oh, sure you are. I don't believe that. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, here's here's what I want to talk with you about. Holy Week. I mean, it's a big time in Christendom. And here we have Donald Trump being, you know, possibly arrested. And maybe, maybe that will have happened by the time this program airs on some of our stations. But, uh, I mean, we have people on the right comparing him to Jesus Christ. And i got to admit, the timing just plays all kinds of into that. And funny thing, the uh, Easter week uh, Bible, that kind of thing, If I think you've probably read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many times. And it amazes me how little overlap there is between them. It's like uh, what day of the week it happened, what time, who was there, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's like it's, it seems like as, as it gets further away from the occurrence, it became more and more fantastic. Actually, I, actually, I would say there's a lot of overlap there, especially between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is kind of in, in, a, in a world on his own, possibly drug-induced. But anyway... It's, uh... Well, but Mark, the first one, was, was, I won't say uncomfortable, but it seemed to be a little more real life. By the time I think Luke was the last one, you know, some yeah. really amazing things were happening. That was 70 years later or so after anybody so, was alive when it happened. So, wasn't there anymore to, to confront him. So let's bring it back to Holy Week and... Uh, and uh... Donald J, maybe the J stands for Jesus. I don't know. Donald J. Trump's triumphant entrance into New York City. Presumably, hey, I've got a quote for you. We, yeah, we talked about quotes. Here, here's a wonderful one. I, this is I love this one. The Jews answered him, "It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God." <laughs> okay, so let's take it back to Donald Trump marching into. Uh, New York City, probably not on a donkey, probably in a Lexus or something. Uh, I mean, I mean, a, a limo, I'm guessing. A limo, yeah, yeah, there you go. I mean, you have, you know, he's been compared, he's been compared to Jesus Christ by his followers for a long time. There's a billboard in Georgia a few years ago that uh, said, "For unto us a son is given," with with Donald Trump's picture. You know, yeah. now, Jesus, Jesus was a radical. Mr. Trump is not a radical. He's <laughs> <laughs> and he certainly is not conservative by any stretch of the imagination. He's not even really Republican. He's Donald Trump for Donald Trump. And that's certainly not what Jesus is about. Jesus was for everybody. Trump's for himself. And by the way, these clever people such as our governor who think they're they're walking this line of diplomacy of, well, I'm not saying he's bad and I'm not saying he's good. They don't understand the psychopathy going on here. If it's not feel loyalty, you are a traitor. Look at McConnell. McConnell got him where he was, gave him his laurels the whole bit, and he did one thing wrong, or maybe a couple little things, and, you know, death yeah. beat him. Well, I mean, look, he, he, even better, look at Mike Pence. He didn't do what Trump oh. wanted, and suddenly he's <laughs> uh, suddenly he's uh, he's halfway to the gallows. But um, so, I mean, this, uh, 
You know, I, I don't know how you feel about the trial, the um, well, the, the arrangement. Trump, the... Pence, Pence was trying to be diplomatic, too. If Trump got in to the office again, the first time the term presidents kind of hold back a little bit. Yeah, that was Trump holding back. OK, the second term, all gloves are off and it's payback time. So back to the uh, so take a look at this trial. I mean the well Trump's uh, and again we don't know if we're we're recording this program on a Monday. Stuff could have happened between now and the time people are listening to it. But I'm going to guess maybe Trump maybe he was arrested. Uh, who knows what New York City will look like when uh, when the, when his supporters take to the streets after that. But um, these comparisons to Jesus Christ. I mean, come on, look at the guy's track record. Look at how how many commandments has he violated. I, I think I brought that up to you. It's a, uh, easier to count the ones he didn't as opposed to the ones he did, and somehow the evangelicals are behind him. I, that just that just blows my mind. I was like, one of these things is not like the other. Hey, can I jump shark for a second? Because this is very topical, and, and I was listening to some news this morning, and, uh, you know, I was really originally talked to you about Bible quotes and legislative and government prior, governor priorities and that kind of thing. And they're talking about social media and outlawing that for teens. And then I see, you know, the whole Second Amendment thing. And then I see anti-abortion. Okay, so to me, the, the, the thread that runs through it is the protection of innocence it's amazing the different mechanisms, well, ostensibly the protection of innocence. And since now, you know, we have the anti-abortion thing, which is supposed to defend the in the undefendable. They have no defense. But on the other hand, the major cause of children dying is gun violence. I go like, whoa. And if okay. you really want to dig into it, social media is probably pretty high up there, too. Why did it take so long when all the science was there? and morals and ethics and everything else to tell you it was bad. Okay, but Mark, I'm, I'm trying to stay focused here. Those are all topical. <laughs> this is today. Okay, so topical. Uh, I mean, the, to me, it's a big deal that Donald Trump is, um, is facing these charges and possible arrest. And I think, um, I think that has to happen. Although I think, I think politically, it's a real liability for Democrats, and I think the fact that his base is willing to go to bat for him in the streets of New York, very probably. Again, we're taping this before that, but also the, it's going to be it's going to be toned down. Okay, maybe, but the fact that they're they they they're, they 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 compare him to Jesus Christ. I mean, not just not just casually and uh, and randomly, but I mean, here's here's Joseph McBride. He's an attorney who represented some of the January 6 protesters on Twitter. He says, "quote." President Trump will be arrested during Lent, a time of suffering and purification for the followers of Jesus Christ. As Christ was crucified and then rose again on the third day, so too will Trump. I mean, that's like... Good. Let's, let's get the crucifixion done, okay? Then let's see what happens after <laughs> okay. that. Okay. I'll be on board. What does the crucifixion look like? <laughs> uh, the crucifixion looks like a felony conviction, which knocks him out of ever serving as president again. You know, I, I, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, I, I guess I need to, I've, I've heard mixed opinions about that. Uh, you know what? It, his, his, his 15 minutes of fame is about 110 years past. Yeah. Um, no. Um, well, um, hang on. I was going to go somewhere. Never mind. You, you were saying. Well, my concern I, is I that the, 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 whole, the whole martyrdom of Donald Trump, which is what we're seeing right now from the right's perspective, from the far right's perspective, it only elevates his profile in the Republican primary. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that his opponents, now he's got at least three, DeSantis, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, and Hutchison, and possibly Mike Pence. He's got, with three opponents, he's already likely to win the Republican nomination. With him being mm -hmm. martyred during Holy Week, he's only more likely to win the Republican the, nomination. The, there are the puppet masters in the background. They're the ones who picked Biden, which was a horrible decision. That they, they will not make that mistake again because I don't, even Biden for his, never mind, we're not going to go there. I was going to back up to Pence, though. Pence, once again, like Reynolds, thinks they're being clever. He's, he says, nobody's above the law, but prosecuting Trump is political. Uh, 
make up your mind. He broke the law. Right. And as if he's found to have broken the law, uh, what is exactly you're saying, Mr. Pence? I don't want to take a stand. I'm going to waffle and, and go down. The, that That is not the conviction of a true Christian. And I'll say like Reynolds, too. It's like you don't wait to stand up for anti-abortion. If you truly believe in that, you don't wait to see which way the wind is blowing. That is your stance. Always, every day, every minute of every day. And that, by the way, I would actually respect kind of in the same way I respect Cheney, Liz. <laughs> Liz Cheney, like, right. I, I don't agree with her, but I know what she thinks any one mm. given day. I don't right. have to guess about it. Well, I don't know. What happened yesterday? Oh, this is what she's going to think tomorrow. Mm. Yeah, these people, it, by the way, read a book called The Evolution of God. And my summation is God is real and exists. Religion is uh, whatever's happening on the ground today. It's like you can be incredibly humble uh, when things are down, but if you're willing to find out who people are like, wait until they have everything, like Reynolds, like Trump, whenever he was there, and then see how they act, and that's who they really are, and they're not humble, and they're not wise, and that's why I don't want them in a position of power, period. Right. But there they are. <laughs> they're in positions of power. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I to me, I, I mean, Holy Week is important, Uh it's 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 it and it's, it can be very powerful, and here it is. Uh, I think you know being translated into a very very odd way by a very you know prominent element of Christianity, and uh, I you know I don't I, I think to me and maybe maybe you would agree with this too is that I, I think it's really important in response to all that for the more um, balanced. Uh, Christian denominations, the the ones that aren't going to just, just just jump on a political bandwagon, to kind of put some perspective on it. You know, why 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 is this one guy, Donald J. Trump, you know, being elevated to the status of godlike or even god, <laughs> despite you do the record? Realize Satan Satan is also a god, and part of God. And by the way, Satan rises up again and again, also. And that, to me, is the absolute blasphemy. This was the quote of uh, you thinking yourself as God. God says, and the Bible, which is good science, says go out and preach and tell people about it. It is not your job to force people to do what you want them to do. That's not morality. That's authoritarianism and despot dictatorship. And you look at the actions of these folks and you know what they're going to do when they get in the position of absolute power. And you go, no, that has nothing to do with Jesus. They're not sacrificing themselves for anybody. They want all the other people to sacrifice themselves for me, mm. which is, that's flipped 100%. So what's the 100% opposite of Jesus and God? You got it. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this, Mark, just to kind of kind of wrap up the, uh, the political uh, dimension of, of this. So uh, if, again, if I'm right and... Uh, the if I'm right and the uh, the uh, the arrest or the 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 conviction whatever whatever happens to Donald Trump if that actually helps him win the Republican primary, Democrats are saying oh goody Donald Trump we can beat him we know how that works well I guess Democrats are forgetting that in 2016 they were also saying oh goody we've got Donald Trump we can beat this guy and they didn't and my my thought is. Okay, so the guy got, what, 71 million votes last time, and he still lost because there was huge turnout. With all the dissatisfaction with the Biden administration, I mean, justified or not justified, I think it's very likely to see a lower turnout than there than, than happened in 2020. And 24 will see, I mean, if, 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 if Trump gets the same number of votes in 2024, he may win. And uh, I think Democrats are making a big mistake by thinking, oh, goody, Donald Trump Wins the primary. Democrats Lucky us. Democrats making a huge mistake if Biden is the nominee. He is somewhat like, uh, oh gosh, I'm going to brain hemorrhage here. Uh, uh, best president ever. Uh, never had any controversy. He's in hospice now. Um, Jimmy Carter. Yeah. It's like, wow, what a horrible president. No scandals or anything. Okay, well... If he has the grace he has, Biden would say, you know what, I am going to step down because that's how much I love my country. If he doesn't, once again, he is not wise and he does not have humility. Uh, he needs to get out of the way. But And then back up. 
God gives us horrible decisions to make, and they're very hard. They're never easy. Donald Trump has taught us an incredible amount in this country, which I've said many <laughs> times where he's brought misogyny, racism, xenophobia, you name it, right in front of our face. Okay, well, it was just kind of buried there and going along. Well, now we can't ignore it and a lot of controversy, but things are actually happening. Biden is a go on, go on. Uh, status quo, I mean, yeah, uh, green, 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 drill, drill, drill. Right, what? You know, <laughs> and I know that Biden Biden does have an opponent, Marianne Williamson. He may get another opponent, but I think it's very unlikely that he will. You know that that, that I, mean, I I don't see him losing a Democratic primary for president. I don't see that happening. I want Liz Cheney as as the independent. <laughs> the Democratic nominee? Oh, the independent? No, no, okay. independent. Yeah, she yeah. is incredibly strong, and there's enough real, true conservatives in this country, Democratic and quote-unquote Republican, that go, you know what, good or bad, she is ethical. And maybe that's a bad example, but you know what I mean? Well she, didn't, nice no, she did, well, she didn't get it from her dad. <laughs> well, I said they're not nice people, though. Yeah. They're, they're get stuff done, yeah. hammer nails. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the oath you take when you testify, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that's her. Mark, yeah, I gotta yeah, I like it. Mark, I gotta run to a break. Uh, good talking with you as always. My pleasure. Mark uh, Clipsham, folks, we've been talking with Mark Clipsham. And when we come back from a short break, we're gonna be talking about the Wisconsin Supreme Court election, a judicial victory in Iowa, Boss Hog and Big Oil, and the latter, yeah, the latter bought off a Harvard professor. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You know, thanks to our sponsors, including psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Now, before we talk about a Harvard professor's cozy deal with ConocoPhillips, I got to talk about what's what happened in Wisconsin this week. Again, with the caveat that I am recording this program on Monday, the election in Wisconsin is, of course, Tuesday. I'm going to be bold and make a prediction. I'm going to predict that uh, Janet uh, Protosiewicz wins, and I think that's that's not a real bold prediction because she won the primary back in February very handily. She got like 46 percent of the vote. And three other candidates, two of them landed in the low 20s, low to mid 20s. And if you, and then there was a fourth candidate, also a liberal judge like Janet. And if you um, factor in the total percentage of the electorate that went with a, quote, liberal judge, that's 54%. And so the chance of her not winning is not good. I think, I think that's probably going to happen. And of course, her, her opponent, her Republican opponent, Dan Kelly, no relation to the Dan Kelly that we love here in Iowa, uh, <laughs> uh, is, you know, has already lost pretty bad in a previous uh, election. 
So why this is, I mean, what, $40 million have been spent on this election so far? That is incredible, on a judicial election. But this is being called the most important election in the U.S. in 2023 because Wisconsin has kind of gone off the rails in terms of politics. Again, Wisconsin, like Minnesota, like Iowa, historically a flip state, a state that can, that can go either way. We are a swing state. We are purple. And in the case of Iowa, I can say we used to be. Minnesota, still mostly blue. Wisconsin also, you know, it's, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's, right now there's a lot of expectation about what's going to happen if uh, Protosewitz wins. And probably she's going to join, it'll be a new four, four to three liberal majority, and they will vote to uh, reverse the ban on abortion. They may also overturn some of the uh, anti-labor stuff that former Governor Scott Walker initiated. Uh, there's also a really good chance that they'll revisit the, um, the congressional districts that have been set up and legislative districts. I mean, Wisconsin has been gerrymandered as bad as any state in the nation. Now, fortunately for Iowans, at least, that doesn't happen here. We have a good system that is fair and does not result in, you know, districts that look like amoeba in order to, to justify, you know, getting a political majority. Again, Democrats have done it as well. Republicans do it more often and really badly. But, um, yeah, actually, the, the, the problem in Iowa is that uh, our current governor is trying to weaken our fair, our fair uh, system for both um, drawing districts and also our fair system for judicial appointments. Because what really, uh, you know, the, the, the other side of this that isn't getting a lot of conversation is, why are we electing judges? I mean, that is, that is so wrong. This is supposed to be an independent nonpartisan branch of government, and we are electing them. And in Wisconsin, it's really clear which ones are Democrats, which ones are Republicans. And, and the amount of money being spent is incredible. I mean, 40 million bucks for one judicial seat. I don't know how that justice remains unbiased. And apparently it's our, it's, I mean, she's been campaigning as a solidly pro-choice, um, anti-voting restriction candidate. So we already know where she stands on a bunch of the really key issues. And again, from my point of view, who, you know, who, uh, I mean, those things, those changes in Wisconsin are horrible. And I'm glad, really glad that they are probably, hopefully, going to be revisited and, and repealed. But the whole idea of electing judges, ugh, gosh, here in Iowa, we have a system in place where judges have to be appointed by a judicial nominating committee, which has to have some balance. And then the governor gets to select one of the three candidates. And that's, um, you know, it's never perfect, but that's a much better system than electing judges and having them campaign and take donations. And regarding that, even though we have a solidly Republican state here in Iowa, even more, even more Republican right now than Wisconsin, uh, because of that judicial system, we have a, a judiciary that's still occasionally, and for the most part, independent and can be relied upon to make independent decisions. And an example recently, a good story in the Iowa Capitol Dispatch about this, um, a, a Supreme Court decision that was highly critical of Iowa legislators. And again, this is a Supreme Court mostly appointed by a Republican, Republican governors criticizing state legislature, a state legislature, House and Senate, that are overwhelmingly Republican. The case was the, in electric transmission uh, legislation. Uh, it, the, 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 um, the utility companies uh, sued because the law was restricting competition. And uh, the Supreme Court actually called it, quote, quintessentially crony capitalism, which I love the alliteration there. But also, uh, I love the fact that a, a Supreme Court appointed by uh, Republican governors called something crony capitalism. I think that's pretty cool. And um, <laughs> so, the, and, 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 and central to the whole conversation, central to the decision, was this, um, this habit the legislature has gotten into over the years. And it, was hap it happened when I was up there in the 90s. They would put all these unrelated topics together into one bill. 
usually stuff that was unpopular that they knew they couldn't pass on their own. Examples include the fiber optic network. I don't want to get into that. Uh, legalized gambling. All these things that get done late at night and they wrap them into one big piece of legislation. People don't even read it sometimes. And so, yeah, and the Iowa Constitution is really clear. That is wrong. The Iowa Constitution says every act shall embrace but one subject and matters properly connected therewith. And that didn't happen. And so the court ruled. I mean, the court, it's hard to argue with their ruling. But I would guess that if it was a, a emphatically partisan appointments, and if those, comp- if those candidates for ju- judiciary had to campaign like they did in was like they're doing in Wisconsin, you might not have seen the same unbiased outcome. But let's switch gears again before we talk about uh, before we talk about um, this appointment at Harvard University. So there's a big hog owner here in Iowa. Actually, there's a handful of big hog owners. And actually, I want you, I want to make sure you remember this, folks. The biggest pork producer in the U.S. is owned by a Chinese company, controlled in large part part by the Chinese government. That would be Smithfield. But we have big hog owners who, um, yes, yeah, some of them are headquartered in Iowa. This one happens to be headquartered about 200 miles from Iowa in Minneapolis. Um, this guy, uh, Laurel DeJong, is responsible for more than two dozen fines, uh, often for, usually for spills from one of his three, I think he has three different confinements in northwest Iowa. He, I mean, he's been fined two dozen times. Uh, and recently, he was given a $10,000 fine. And again, $10,000 sounds like a lot of money to you or I. Actually, it's a slap on the wrist. It's hardly anything. It's a cost of doing business for this guy. And again, the story in Iowa Capital Dispatch, quote, during an inspection of one of the facilities in 2012, the department noted, that's the Department of Natural Resources, noted that a facility that was permitted since 1999 for 700 nursery pigs had nearly three times that. And for that, the Jong was fined $2,250. Okay, again, total slap on the wrist. I mean, not even a slap, like a tap on the wrist, a little tap on the wrist. In 2021, he was also fined $4,000 for another manure overflow. My question is, why is this guy still in business? Why do we want a guy from 200 miles away owning confinements in Iowa that are polluting the fields, that are polluting the water, that uh, are making the air downwind, probably unbreathable. Why is this guy even allowed to do that? And here's another question. Why are Democrats not all over this? You know, if, if Democrats want to start to carve out a difference between them and Republicans, here's their opportunity, folks. Another one. Okay, so <laughs> I, I'm a long time getting to this, but I want to talk about big oil and academia. We'd like to believe that academia is independent, um, always about... Uh, you know, fairness, research, you know. And uh, unfortunately, it's not always the case. Uh, there's a, an eminent Harvard environmental law professor, uh, Jody Freeman. She is uh, pretty, pretty tightly linked to the fossil fuel industry. She's, on the, she's a paid board member, paid board member of ConocoPhillips. And of course, ConocoPhillips is the company behind the Willow Project in Alaska, which we talked about last week, which a lot of people are very upset about. She's the director of Harvard's Environmental and Energy Law Program and landed a big grant from ConocoPhillips to, do a, uh, to investigate corporate climate pledges. And so she's getting a lot of pushback from other faculty and from students saying, how is this, how is this professor at all remotely uh, objective? And, and why should she, through the university, be accepting money to do the bidding of ConocoPhillips when you've got a university that has gone on record as saying, you know, we have goals to, I mean, Harvard's stated goal is, and I quote, fossil fuel free by 2050 and fossil fuel neutral by 2026. Fossil fuel neutral in three years. How are you going to get there when you've got a professor that is getting this kind of money? And I don't have the exact, I don't know the exact money dollar figure for some reason, but getting a significant grant from ConocoPhillips <laughs> to do research that's probably going to come out favorably to ConocoPhillips. So I love it that Harvard University was asked to comment on this, and they declined. But students wrote this letter 
uh, to the university saying, quote, Professor Freeman, until now, you have justified your position as helping reform ConocoPhillips from the inside. The Willow Project makes clear that this is not working. Despite your years of service, ConocoPhillips remains further from the Paris alignment than almost all of its peer investor-owned fossil fuel companies. At a certain point, it is important to ask yourself whether you are being used if ConocoPhillips isn't paying for your expertise, but instead co-opting the respect and legitimacy accorded to someone according, accorded sorry to someone of your position. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's really good that students are calling this out, and I think it's really important that we um, we make sure that uh, this doesn't happen. And oh my gosh, I guess it's happening here in Iowa as well. We have a guy named Bruce Rastetter, folks, a um, huge donor to the Republican Party, uh, owns all kinds of major agricultural operations, has tried to, you know, send his stuff over to Tanzania, owns land in Brazil, and is one of the, uh, is behind one of the three companies that wants to build a CO2 pipeline. Well, guess what? He's also a big investor in Iowa State University. So I, I think it's really hard for universities to remain independent and to assure that their research and their work is going to be uh, for the people and not for some big donor. And I think that I think we're seeing that here in Iowa with Rastetter. I think we're certainly seeing it with this example at Harvard University. We'll see. I mean, I commend the students for being so forthright and the faculty members who work with them. We'll see where that leads. Hey, I got to take a short break. Uh, when we come back from that, Kathy Burns is going to join me for our April Garden Q&A. This is Ed Fallon with the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. You can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Hey, Kathy Burns is with me in the studio, and we are ready and primed to discuss April gardening and uh, questions that people might have about that. I'm excited when we get to April gardening questions because it means it's my birthday month. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, then. Well, good to know. I'm we, in, I've been reminded. <laughs> you, you already knew. Well, we is, we're going to start with some questions that people have about the seedlings that they have started or tried to start. Um, you know, we start ours in our basement. People do all kinds of things. So first question Looks like none of my bell peppers are going to germinate. Is it too late to try again or just buy some from the store? I'm in Northeast Iowa. What do you think? I think it's too late to start them. Yeah, so uh, do I. Um, and this is why we start crazy early. I mean, we're, we're not Northeast Iowa. We're actually in a different growing zone. 
but we mm-hmm. still start our peppers in late February, mid-Feb- mid-February. Well, you want a good, strong February, plant when you put it out. And it takes well, a little well, while to harden them off, too. Well, and if you, like one year we had, we planted Ocelio peppers, mm-hmm. none germinated. We realized the seed was flawed, mm-hmm. but we still had enough time to start a second, uh, second attempt. That's you know? right. So factor into your time also when they look big enough that they could go outside, you still need to take mm-hmm. at least a week to harden them off, and sometimes it takes longer because you may yeah. have a day that you can't put them out. So, so if you're in northeast Iowa next year, start in late January, early February. <laughs> and then find a nice local place to go buy your seedlings. Yes. Don't do a big box, please. Second question. My plants that sprouted now have true leaves, and we can talk about that. And I used seed starting mix in three-inch biodegradable pots. Do I need to add a liquid fertilizer now or swap to a potting soil? I would think the fertilizer would be the better option. Any recommendations? I think they need a little fertilizer. I don't think those pre-done pots come with a fertilizer built in. No, and it and, and depends. I mean, at some point, your plant's going to get strong enough where you want to transplant it. You want to, mm-hmm. you want to have that potting soil handy, move it to a different plant. But I, I do a, I do a, you know, a fish emulsion feeding every mm-hmm. week with our, mm-hmm. our plants. Again, not much. It's really strong stuff. You, yeah, it has to be really diluted, and it's smelly too. Uh, <laughs> true leaves, by the way, are uh, when your plant first sprouts, you get those. They get those cute little leaves, and you really can't tell what kind of plant it is. They're they're sort of the same as all the other little tiny, you know, first leaves. But seed leaves. The, yeah. yeah, seed leaves, the first leaves. But the true leaves are the ones that come out shortly after that that look like a plant leaf. They look like a tomato right. leaf. They look like a pepper leaf, etc. Here's another question. How long do you put a fan on seedlings every day? For a few hours? Does it make a difference if the fan is oscillating? So... They need the fan on pretty much, you know, I would say 12 hours a day if you can. They need to build their little muscles. Yeah, it, it helps. I mean, we do not have an oscillating fan, and that's uh, that's unfortunate. I think an oscillating fan is the way to go. Well, we, we probably need The oscillating need to, part is busted. It is. <laughs> we need to invest in a new fan. So but, I, but I think, you know, the other thing for us, and this, I don't know if this is true of other plants, but I would say for our artichokes, um, the, the best way to prevent fungus from forming mm-hmm. on you know early artichoke plants is to keep the air moving. Right. And because I assume that applies to other plants too. Well the soil is damp and that can, you know, help feed a fungal, you know, development or something. So keeping those leaves nice and dry is important. So once the plants are outside, here's here's a question. Um this this goes back to mid to late October. Someone planted their garlic then, as did we uh, actually, late October, early November, early November for November, us, yeah. they said, well, we had a warm spell, so it started to come up. I left it alone. I have no shoots yet. It's been colder than normal last month, so um, hoping the garlic still comes Ooh. up. I, they, they should have had garlic by now. Ours is already mm-hmm. four or five inches tall. I think so. Someone Ooh. suggested that perhaps, um, depends. we don't know where they're located, these folks, but mm-hmm. someone suggested that they can they can dig down on one. They planted a hundred, so they could dig down in a few and see if they're close to coming up yeah. above the earth. Yep. That way, don't dig them all up right, right now. Maybe check them. Somebody else is asking. I wanted to plant carrots, onions, more potatoes, and kale today. Is it too early? Today is when? Like uh, this was April just about 3rd? two days ago. Okay. Today April is 1st? April third. I think they planted them on. Again, April. where are they? Um, well, I, I think, you know, for where we are in Zone 5, yeah. it's fine. We've got carrots and in the ground, you know, seeds in the ground. But we don't, you know, normally we've planted onions by now, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's been too cold. It's been a little too cold. And uh, we always, always plant potatoes on Good Friday. That's the tradition in Iowa. And you know, it always works. We've done a whole <laughs> segment on that, and it's... and. Anyway, I let Ed have his way. <laughs> Someone else is asking, and I presume they're in a similar zone as we are here in mid mid Iowa. Um, would green beans be okay to plant in a few weeks? Everything else I'm growing will have to wait until after Mother's Day. I don't see a a reason not to try green beans in a few weeks. Yeah, um, I think even now you could take a shell. Yeah, it, take you know? take some. They take some a little while to germinate yeah. because they're a harder shell. Yeah. All right. Any more? That is? Uh, well, some, someone's wondering about planting corn. They want to plant a row and then in another week, another row, or set another two weeks, another row. Um, 
germination is the issue. I wouldn't plant those in rows right. unless um, when they come up, you need to really make sure they get pollinated yeah. or you're not going to get any yeah. produce. Plant well, them in a cluster. Well, Kathy, thanks for joining us. And thanks to my guests this week, uh, Joel Furman and Mark Clipsham, and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake, Family Psychiatry. Thanks to our nonprofit partners, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. Back next week for another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio. <laughs>